Hey, I'm going to hop right into it. Um, we're in a series called Believer to Disciple. This is one of the prophetic words over our year. God is wanting us to step into maturity. And uh, uh, does it feel, I feel loud. Am I too little loud? Maybe turn me down just a little bit. I feel like I'm, uh, God wants to take us to take steps into maturity. And I want to ask you the question, do you know what a mature believer looks like? What does that actually look like? If we don't have a goal of what we're trying to go for, we'll never hit it. <laughs> and so a disciple is a follower or a student of, of, or of a teacher, leader, or philosopher. And so Jesus takes this a little further, and the Bible takes it further to say, it says, a disciple is Jesus, Jesus is someone who believes in Christ, the master, the teacher, follows and obeys his teaching, strives to imitate and become like Jesus, lays his or her life down for Jesus, and helps others do the same. So when we look at Scripture, we see Scripture and believer really kind of are interchangeable. But for our purposes here, we're recognizing a believer as someone who, it's kind of like being a fan to being on the team. I'm going to being a fan of being on the team. So I laid out 10 things uh, last week. We're going to put these. This is what uh, characterizes a mature believer in Jesus. I want to read these. Here, let's look at them. Number one, passionately committed to Christ. All right? So just let me say first, passionately committed to Christ means you've actually accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You have been born again. All right? Two, extraordinary love for people. The Bible says we're going to be known for our love. Number three, a servant's heart. Jesus says, I came not to be served, but to serve. We're supposed to imitate Christ. We're supposed to serve our brothers and sisters. Number four, submitted and led by the Holy Spirit. Number five, governed by the authority of God's word. That means we have a biblical worldview, which we're going to talk about today. You filter all your life, your daily decisions through the word of God. Number six, you live whole. You're striving to live a holy life, get healed from offenses, the fruits of the Spirit. You know, you know what? Uh, being healthy doesn't mean you don't get sick, does it? It means you have an immune system to get better. When we talk about being whole, we're not saying we never get sick, we never get uh, offended. It means we have the ability that that doesn't turn into a, a, a bitter root inside of us, that we, we're able to actually get whole and healed. Number seven, evangelistically bold. We're going to share our faith. Number eight, engaged in biblical community. There are things you just can't work out outside of community. There's just stuff that you can't do. God, that's the way God has designed us. We are all members of one body and we come together and there's things that God gives somebody else that he will never give you. Why? Because he wants you to receive from them. And same thing, same thing God's going to give you stuff that, to other people. And then sometimes believers know how to really rub off some of the hard edges of us. <laughs> Amen? Nobody likes that part, but it's okay. Number nine, generous. Generous with their time, generous with their talents and the gifts and the treasure that God's given them. And number 10, they live on a mission. They have a purpose, and their focus is the kingdom of God first. Carolyn sent this to me, and I just love it. This is... A believer mindset is the, const, is the constant thoughts about healing your house, your children, your finances, your life, your bills, your heartaches, which he wants for all of us. But the disciple mindset is about healing the kingdom of God, healing God's sons and daughters, healing souls, healing others, praying for others, not so much a focus on self, although seasons of that will come and go. But it just can't be our development in terms of prayer and spiritual warfare. Think about it as an immature kid. An immature kid, all they do is think about who? Themselves. As you mature, as you become an adult, you start to think about others. That's what a mature Christian, when they start to step into maturity, they begin to go, you know what? I begin to think about others. And you know what happens when you begin to think about others? Your life gets better. It's an amazing thing how it works. So today I want to talk and discuss an important concept, the believer's worldview. And um, our worldview, we're in the middle of discipleship, our worldview is directly related to how well we have been discipled. It's the indication of how well we've been discipled. 
And our worldview is simply the lens in which we see the world. It's how we process what we see and hear. It's how we make decisions. It's how we vote. It's how we raise our kids. Whatever it is, it's how we live our life. And Barna did a study, and they found that Americans, of all Americans, only 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview. And you want to hear a really staggering stat? Only 37% of pastors have a biblical worldview. So no wonder we're losing the culture war. There really isn't a war because Christians are on the same team as the world. They're thinking just like the world. There is a spiritual battle that is happening, guys, and the ramifications if we lose are huge. Your child's worldview determines their relationship with God, who they marry, how they live their life, how they parent. And I'm just going to be honest. The more we look at it, the more we study and see the stats, there is a 911 call right now for us of discipleship. And we can't, we can't change all of America, but you know what we can? We can focus on right who we have right in our sphere. So I want to read you something out of this Barna's book, uh, Growing True Disciples. And I guess it really put in my mind uh, some, or put words in my mind that I had been thinking a while. Christians and Christian churches employ all kinds of strategies to influence their world. We try to elect politicians who share our values and goals. We strive to enact laws and policies that reflect our beliefs. We attempt to expose people to Christian ideas and precepts through religious radio and television programming. We hope to shape the minds of young people by enrolling them in Christian schools and by ensuring that God and his principles are not completely removed from the public school environment. We use clever advertising campaigns and comprehensive direct marketing programs to encourage people to attend our churches and to develop a relationship with God. We endeavor to get people to know Jesus by inviting them to evangelistic crusades, revivals, and other outreach events. All such efforts, well-intentioned, do bear some fruit, but I would like to propose what I believe is a better strategy for growing the kingdom of God. What would happen if we were to focus on the four out of every ten adults and the one out of every three teenagers who have already asked Jesus Christ to be their Savior and do everything we can to help them grow into inspired, unmistakable disciples of Jesus? What would happen for the kingdom of God if we did not consider our job complete when people confess their sins and say a prayer inviting Jesus to be the Redeemer, but would... We would, or, but would use their new commitments to Christ as a launching pad for a lifelong quest to become individuals completely sold emotionally, intellectually, physically, and spiritually to the Son of God. He's not saying don't think outwardly. He's given us the strategies to reach the world. He's given us the strategy to do that. And um, it's to train and equip Christians, because the reality is, as fast as we're bringing them in the door, they're going out the back door even faster. We've got a, we've got a problem on our hands. We've got to talk about it. So what we're going to do um, is we're going to talk about worldview here. And um, I want to talk about some different worldviews that we see in the world right now. And I've got, we've got a list we're going to start, but the first one is biblical theism, and that's not the first one up there, sorry, Lynette, but um, we're going to talk about that. But we're going to talk about some other worldviews out there, and I want you to just listen for the language, because you're going to hear, you're going to hear some of the things we hear in the world, on the radio, on TV, on the internet. So number one, we're going to look at secular humanism. It's about science and human reasoning. The universe came to being without divine intervention. Humans evolved to be the highest form. Nature is supreme and powerful and responsible for all exist and must be protected at all cost. Happiness and social justice are the goals. Does that sound like a worldview that we hear? Yeah. Yeah. Postmodernism rejects all large-scale narratives such as Christianity used to explain our existence, history, 
rejects truth and principles. Material success is the goal of life and wants to deconstruct all forms of human organization and theory. Are we hearing that? Eastern mysticism. The cosmos is the prevailing force which we all are part of through which we are interrelated and interdependent. No personal God, no absolute moral truths. This is where we get Buddhism, Hinduism, and New Age. Here's the big one. Moralistic, therapeutic deisms. Say that ten times fast. It's a perversion of biblical Christianity. God exists but is removed from humanity. We earn our salvation through goodness. Our earthly purpose is to be happy, which comes from feeling good and being good to others. The Bible is a useful guidebook, but not considered infallible source of truth. Marxism, understood through oppression, economic and political. Critical race theory is part of this. Dismisses organized religion, the Bible, life after death, the innate value of human life and moral absolutes. This is really interesting. Cultural elites are the hope of mankind because of their intellectual and moral superiority. They want to abolish family, marriage, individuality, and tradition. Now, the good news for us is the worldview that has most people that are fully, uh, full adherence to that is the biblical worldview at 6%. So we should be really happy about that, right? No. <laughs> All the others are 1% or 2% of people who are fully committed to that one worldview. But what they found out in this Barna study is that 88% of Americans have what is known as syncretism, which is a personal blend of all the different philosophies and worldviews all come into one person. A little bit of biblical thought here, a little bit of humanism here, a little bit of postmodernism here, a little bit of Marxism. And the reason is worldview is not taught, it's caught. It comes by default. Studies show that a worldview begins developing at 15 to 18 months, is fully developed at 13 years old, tested in the 20s, and will not change after 30s without the power of God. So we've got some work ahead of us, right? So what we're going to do is we're going to take a little worldview poll, a little survey, so get your phones out. You guys always love this, don't you? This is by far not comprehensive. Uh, it's about 12 or 13 questions. Uh, there is one that's a little bit, I don't know if we've got any kiddos in here, but it's a little bit older. Um, I'll let you know when it's coming. I think I know. I don't know which one it is. But, uh, so it's, it's just, until we move forward, it's just going to be stuck at one screen. So as long as you're, as long as you're on there, you're good. Everybody on? Eighty-five, come on. Can I hear eighty-seven? Here eighty-eight, here ninety. Give me ninety-two, ninety-three, ninety-four. Okay, we're coming, we're coming. There's probably two hundred people in here, so there shouldn't be a lot more than that, but Everybody on? No? What's, what's, it's, what? <laughs> Just put your camera up there. That's all it is. <laughs> Hold your camera up to that and it'll pop in. Sorry. And then select Mentimeter at the bottom of the page. Mentimeter at the bottom of the page. Select Mentimeter at the bottom of the page. I know, I know, I know. I'm sorry. You can either go to the mentime.com or you can just scan that QR code and it'll... Are we getting close? Okay, we're going to have to move. We're going to have to move. Ten seconds. We get, almost everybody? Raise your hand if you don't have, have it yet. 
Everybody's like, I'm not going to raise my hand. All right, here we go. First question. Here we go. Worldview indicator. Okay. How did the universe and the earth come to being? Oh, can you turn? Oh, that's, I, I don't know how that's working. I didn't set it up. I, 10, just do 10 if you agree with it. How about we go with that? 10, you agree with it? Yeah. Miguel, do you want to speak to that? Is there anything specific? Um, that's not going to help us at all. Anything you want to speak to, Miguel, on that? He put together? Okay. All right, let's go to the next one. They're not all like that. Well, maybe they are. got some good responses there. All right, next. right there. That was an easy one. This is anonymous, by the way. Nobody knows what's... I I will never know who's saying what. I should have said that at the beginning. (laughs) Uh, It's all... you, you.
very good answer. Is that the last one? Well, pretty interesting. Pretty interesting. Would you just, you want to hang out there for just a sec? Because I don't have much longer here. Um, you don't have to play, but you can just, just hang out there if you don't mind. <laughs> Never mind, you can just go take a seat. <laughs> You know when the music's playing, okay, where he's getting near the end. All right, you're good, you know. So I guess if you have him play the whole time, you just, it just throws you off. You don't know what's going to happen. How long is it going to go here? That's just kind of some, some questions that they would normally ask in these kind of things. But let me, let me ask you a question. We have a lot of feelings, right? <clears throat> There's a lot of feelings happening around the world right now. Sad, perplexed, excited. Let me ask you this question. What comes first? Thoughts or feelings? Thoughts or feelings? You feel something first and then think it, or do you think it and then feel it? Well, let me answer the question for you. It's thoughts. So if I go into a room and I don't know anybody in the room, I immediately think, 
I don't know anybody. This could be awkward. And then what do I feel? Anxiety. And then what does that anxiety make me do? I might be a little reserved. I may not talk. I may hang out by the punch bar, right? So our thinking leads to our feelings, and our feelings lead to action. Our worldview is how we think. It informs how we feel and then dictates how we act. So we think that people are acting on their emotions. I mean, if you watch any of the news, you see people, I mean, irate. I mean, just, ah! Now, they're feeling something, but the reality is that's all going back to a thought. And it's a worldview. Everything they are feeling is going back to a thought. So we see it come out as emotion, but it's actually because they think something. Abortion can be connected to secular humanism. We're no different than animals. Humans don't have intrinsic value. So because they think that, they immediately don't see abortion as a big deal. Why? Because I don't see us as being anything special. Racism can be connected to Marxism, hierarchies, secular humanism. The breakdown of traditional families and marriage can be connected to postmodernism thinking. So the, the thinking leads to intense emotion and then to action. And let me give you an example. Let me give you an example that we all kind of deal with here. I see this in movies all the time. A woman is in a marriage. It's stale. It's boring. The husband works 60, 70 hours a week. He never sees them. He's kind of, he's there, but he's disconnected. He's not cheating on her. They just don't have anything going on. They've just fallen out of love, and they are on the verge of separation. And then what happens? A boyfriend from her past comes on the scene. It's, it's the man, it was the guy who got away, you know, the love of her life. He's exciting, and she feels happy when she, she feels like she can be himself, herself with him. She's happy. The worldview there is all about, I deserve to be happy. I deserve happiness. And, and, and if this life I'm in right now is not making me happy, I need to get out of it because when I get out of it and become happy, I can become my true self and who I was made to be. And so the movie has us actually rooting for the woman to leave her husband and go be with the one that makes her happy. You see, that's a worldview. She's supposed to be happy. Yeah. Have you ever caught yourself doing that, watching a movie and going, yeah, why am I rooting for this? A biblical worldview would then come back and say, no, that's not God's best. That's not God's best for her. You need to go get counseling. <laughs> you, God can restore this. What's the emotion? That you feel anger that the enemy is trying to steal a marriage and take something that God had meant to always stay together. So that anger comes out, and what is then the, the, the response? You fight for the marriage. And so the worldview informs the emotion, and the emotion then informs and dictates how you act. But emotions are deceptive. You can't trust them, can you? That's all they are, feelings. And if you live by them, you're going to go through a lot of pain trying to obey them. And you usually find out that you can't satisfy them. If you want to change your life, you change how you think. Hear me again. If you want to change your life, how you feel, what you do, you've got to change how you think. And this is what discipleship is all about. And the only way to change your thinking and to start thinking like God and biblically thinking is you got to read the Word and you got to get in it. And this is not the Word. Where's my Bible? Uh, you got to get into it. So the world's living with all these ideas. They're living with, with these, these emotions and they're acting on them. And the thing is, Christians are doing the same thing. They're acting on them, and we're losing our witness. And here's the reality. We're losing a generation. Because we've not taught them how to think biblically. And the only way we get out of this mess is Jesus. That's it. I mean, we can try. There is training that's good. It's important. We need to be training our kids in schools and things like that. But the only real way to get out of this is Jesus 
Jesus is the healer and restorer. I'm thankful that he has, so many of you, he's transformed your life. He's pulled you out of, the, out of the mess. But can I just, can we all agree that the best thing is not for us to get into the world and Jesus have to pull us out, but to never actually get into the world? I mean, can we just agree that's the best thing for our kids? Let me tell you, every 10 that get pulled out, only a couple make it back in. So maybe instead of having the thought that, you know, well, they're going to go to college and they're going to kind of test their ways and they're going to uh, go through a little bit. Maybe they'll kind of get distance. But when they get married and have kids, they're going to come back. Maybe instead of that thinking, we need to start saying maybe we need to have them so trained like elite soldiers in the, in the kingdom of God that they can withstand the onslaught of the enemy and actually save others on the same time. That's what we've got to start thinking about. Matthew 28 says this. 19, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. Now, there's two thoughts here. Jesus says, teach and obey. Teach them to obey. Now, I've been thinking about this for a long time. I've been really contemplating on this and I asked my question was I ever really taught the commands of Christ in church and how to have a biblical understanding of the world I was in a lot of sermons <laughs> I sat through thousands of sermons some of them great and they have been teaching me but was I ever actually taught that are most Christians taught those things are we teaching them to our children? Are the churches teaching them? I'm not sure. Then there's the question, what exactly are the commandments of Christ that we're supposed to be teaching? And then how do we teach them how to obey them? You see, we don't have a biblical worldview because we're not taught a biblical worldview. That's the problem. And it's keeping me up at night. And I'm thinking about it a lot. And I'm so thankful. I, I, I love hearing so many of, your, of you parents. I, love to, I just kind of get inklings of, of how you're teaching your kids the things of the Lord. And it's just so encouraging. It's so encouraging. Um, you know, I was reading this scripture the other day, and I felt like the Holy Spirit just impressed on me something. In Second Chronicles 34, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. King Josiah was eight years old. That's where I got the name for J.J., Josiah. His name's Josiah Allen, hence J.J. So I uh, <laughs> figured that one out. But uh, anyway, Josiah was a really good king. He loved the Lord. It says, he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his ancestor David. He did not turn away from doing what was right. During the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, Josiah began to seek the God of his ancestor, David. Then in the twelfth year, he began to purify Jeru Judah and Jerusalem, destroying all the pagan shrines. He was 20 years old. Don't tell me 20-year-olds can't do things for Jesus. He was 16 when he started seeking the Lord. Then in the twelfth year, he began to purify Judah and Jerusalem, destroying all the pagan shrines and Ashtoreth poles and the carved idols and cast images. He ordered that all the altars of Baal be demolished and that the incense altars which stood above them be broken down. He also made sure that the Asherah poles, the carved idols, and all the cast images were smashed and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed them. He burned the bones of the pagan priest on their own altars, so he purified Judah and Jerusalem. There was a revival happening, yeah. Revival happening in Josiah's time. I think there's a revival happening in our time right now. He was restoring God's ways in Judah. He, he also orders that the temple be repaired and that money be raised to repair it. So it says, Second Chronicles, while they were bringing out the money collected the Lord, at the Lord's temple, uh, Hilkah, the priest, found the book of the law of the Lord that was written by Moses. Hilkah said to Shephan, Shephan, the court... Uh, secretary, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. And then he gave the, the scroll to Shaphan, Shaphan, however you say that. So they take the scripture and they take it to the king and they read it. 
And when the king hears it, it says, When the king heard what was written in the law, he tore his clothes in despair. And he gave these orders to Hilkah, Ahikim's son. Oh, man, that's a long one. Uh, The court secretary and Isaiah, the king's personal advisor. Go to the temple and speak to the Lord for for me and for all the remnant of Israel and Judah. Inquire about the words written on the scroll that have been found. For the Lord's great anger has been poured out on us because of our ancestors have not obeyed the word of the Lord. We have not been doing everything the scroll says we must do. Josiah says, realizes as he reads the word of God, they were having spiritual things happening, but he begins to read the word of God and he realizes, uh uh-oh, we're not doing Passover right. We're not worshiping right. The priests are not really operating the way they should be. We're not being obedient. And as I was reading on this, the Holy Spirit said, that's the church today. There's a lot of spirituality going on around us. Worship is just taking off. I mean, there's a whole genre of worship. People go to worship concerts. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. But there's also this biblical illiteracy that's happening. We are reaching people. We keep building them bigger and bigger. The churches, they're growing. Praise God for all of that. But as one person says, we don't have revival because we don't do the Bible. Josiah realized, I thought we were doing all the right stuff. We were being spiritual. We were really trying to do what was right until he opened up the page of the word of God and realized, we're missing it. And I'm telling you, this is what's happening in our society. We've got a lot of spiritual people that are trying to do the right thing. They really want to do the right thing, but because they don't have the word of God that has been deposited in them, they are doing things that don't have a lot of eternal purpose because they think they're doing the right thing. We've got to get back to the word of God. We've got to teach people. Here's what the word of God says, because when Josiah realized that they were doing an amazing thing, he tears his robe and says, oh my goodness, we're we're missing this big time. 1 Samuel says, what's more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. Submission is better than the offering of the fat of rams. He's saying, all the things you're doing are great. I love your worship. I love that you give. I love all that stuff. But let me tell you what really pleases my heart when you just do what I say. And how do you, we do what, what he says if we don't actually know what it says? If we hadn't, haven't hidden God's word in our heart, that we might not sin against God. How does a young person keep his way pure? By following the word. And here's where we are in America. We find our church, our church in America a form of religion, but no power. Second Timothy describes what's going to happen in the last days, and I think we're really there. And I want you to listen to this because he's not talking about unbelievers. Understand this. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure than rather, rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying it its power. He says, avoid such people, actually. What do we do? Well, Romans 12 tells us, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We renew our minds with the word of God. We, we put that in there 
so that we begin to think like God thinks and then our emotions follow that and our actions follow that. Next week, I'm going to be talking about creating the heart atmosphere for you to actually receive God's word and then it begin to bear fruit in you. Colossians 2 says this, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Your worldview protects you from falling into empty philosophies and the things of the world. I want you to think about an idea. Take, take about, and I'm going to get the, you can go ahead and play there. Good job, Brandon. He's been sitting there. I want to take a, just, a, just a thought, a worldview thought that we're seeing in the world. Anybody heard love is love is love is love is love? We hear that? What are they really saying? It doesn't really matter um, what kind of relationship you're in um, as long as it's not hurting anybody and it's in a loving relationship. Love is love is love. As long as you're not hurting anybody, Go do it. Go make it happen. I mean, this is, this is, be happy. Be happy. I'm telling you, this is being ingrained every single day of our lives. But in, I mean, Sarah was talking about some of the cartoons. Every cartoon, every uh, animation is all about finding your true self and being happy. You know, God doesn't actually call us to be happy. He calls us to be joyful. Sometimes, he, you know what he calls us to be? Obedient. And out of that obedience comes the joy. Sometimes we have to go through junk and that's a part of life. Just because something's hard doesn't mean it's wrong. So you take the issue, love is love is love. Doesn't matter what it is, could be uh, even the same gender. Love is love is love. As long as not hurt anybody, you're good. And this worldview is whatever makes you happy, there's no moral absolutes. But what does God's word say about it? What's a biblical worldview say? Well, we know God is love, so therefore God actually gets to dictate what love looks like. He's the one who actually defines what love is. And it's more than a feeling, as Boston would tell us. Few of you get it. Paul lays it out, 1 Corinthians you know, love is patient and kind, does not envy, is not self-serving, keeps no record of wrongs. It's all the good stuff that we read at weddings. But Jesus also, that's not where it ends, because Jesus says, you know, if you love me, you're going to keep my commands. And he says, here's how I created you. Here's how I created you, male and female. Two genders, I created you, male and female. And I've created you as sexual beings reserved just for male and female in a marriage covenant. That's where the blessing lies. Anything, anything outside of that removes the blessing. 1 Corinthians 13 says, it, it does not rejoice in wrongdoings, it, but rejoices with the truth. So I'm saying, that what I'm about to say, I don't want to bring, I'm not here to bring condemnation or shame. Okay, listen. God forgives, God restores but let me tell you, there are always consequences of sin. Romans 6 is for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Or Galatians says, those who live only to satisfy only their sinful nature will harvest decay and death from the sinful nature. So God is not punishing us for our sin. He's removing the blessing that comes and, and the wages of our sin is actually what we're experiencing, the consequences of those sins. So I want to give you an example of how this works in the world. And I struggled to, to share this because I, I, I just, 
I, I, I'm not here to bring shame on anybody, but man, I just felt for our young people, they needed to hear this. Um, there are consequences to getting outside. And when you begin to think in a worldview that's outside the biblical worldview, they did a study on divorce rates after five years. They followed a bunch of people and they found, they just, they found out at what, what percentage of people got a divorce. Um, after five years and um, those who were married that were virgins never been with anybody after five years do you know what the percentage of those who got divorced five percent those who had one partner outside of marriage even if that partner was the one they eventually married you know what the percentage goes up to 25%. If they've had two partners, it goes up to 35%. And then they said, they they polled those who are most uh, fulfilled in their marriage, and it was by far and large those who had saved themselves for marriage. They were the most happy in their marriage. I'm not, I I know that this, I, I can already feel in the room, ugh. This is not to bring shame. Um, if you sin in that way, it's it's under the blood. It's forgiven, you know. At the same time, man, for the for the sake of our kids, we've got to speak the truth and say, "Look, this is God's way. This is how He works." And we've got to teach them a biblical understanding that when you follow God's ways, there's always blessings that come with it. And for some of you who are single, maybe you've messed up in the past. Well, you know what? This poll had nothing to do with Christians. It was just the world. So there is something we have that the world doesn't have, which is forgiveness and healing and restoration. God can restore you to that, so much of the thing that happened to you, it's though it never happened to you. That's the power of God. So some of you are in this place, if you're in a relationship or whatever, listen what I'm hearing, what I'm trying to say here. Hear what I'm trying to say. God's ways. Make a decision today. Hey, I'm done with that. I'm undone with that. I'm going to follow God's way. That's a biblical worldview. It's a biblical understanding of God's heart. The world is indoctrinating the minds of our, our minds and our, our, our kids' minds. And um, my purpose today, I don't really have go and do this, but here's my purpose today was to lay a foundation and to sound the alarm. We've got a big problem. And um, it's not going to be solved coming to church a couple times a month and hoping it rubs off on our kids. I mean, we've got to get intentional. Really, really intentional. And the Lord's convicted me on this. Like, come on, Jeff. There's some stuff that I need to step into as a dad. Parents, you've got to be intentional about teaching the commands of Christ, the things of the Lord, the, the Word of God. Grandparents, too. Young Christians, those just brand new in the Lord, don't think just because you raised your hand and and gave your heart to Christ and you feel good that you don't need to be actually discipled in the things of the faith. You will lose that. We'll talk about it next week. You'll lose the fruit of that that happened in your life. I'm not saying you lose your salvation. I'm not trying to get into that right now, but I'm just saying you will lose the power of of God in your life, the fruit of of, of God's life in you the word taking hold if you don't put it in your heart mature Christians who are you discipling who are you helping grow so what do we do as we close and we'll stand here let's all stand up here what do we do I'm you don't need us as a church to help you disciple your kids you, you can do this <laughs> but I do understand that that's part of the church's responsibility and role so one of the things you can do is sign up for Sunday school I mean it's an hour think about that. I was just thinking about over six weeks you're gonna receive four four to five hours of of getting in God's Word and study just come an hour early to church. That's all you got to do. Come an hour early to church and learn. Bring, put your kids into in discipleship. The other thing 
that's really on our hearts is to develop some kind of tool for your families to be able to begin talking about these things at the dinner table. Worldview and the commands of Christ to help you actually be able to teach these things. So we'll be talking about those as we, as we uh, get them all together. But I just want to pray. Let's just close our eyes for a second. Holy Spirit. Um, Holly, are you here? Holly, can we do that wherever you're at, Holly? Um, build my life. Or else, yeah, just if you could just sing that with us. Um, Lord, we just, um, we thank you for your word is living and active. And it changes lives. And Lord, I don't want anybody to leave here discouraged because there is great hope. We have the Spirit of Christ in us. Oh, we have the Spirit of God living inside of us. We have your Holy Word that transforms us. There, there is lots of hope. We just got some work to do, Lord. And I just thank you, Father, for a church that says, I'm, I'm right here, Lord. I want to help disciple this next generation. I want to help. I want to be disciple myself. I want to grow in my faith, and I want to help others grow in their faith. And so, Lord, I just pray, Holy Spirit, right now, that there, there'd be a, a holy fire that would just rise up in us. Like, we got something to do. We got a job to do, Lord. Get us excited. Get us, get us fired up and hungry to say, come on, let's disciple people. Let's see them grow in their faith. And Lord, I just want to speak to that last point that I have for those who might be feeling guilt or condemnation for past sin. I thank you that you are the restorer and you're a forgiver. So, Lord, we, all of us together, say, Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, we are new creations in Christ. What's happened in the past, Lord, is done. And we walk as new creations. So, Lord, I pray, Lord, let, don't let anybody be discouraged here or shamed by the enemy today. Lord, actually, let this be a moment to say, today's the day I walk in newness. Today's the day I walk in, in my identity as a son or daughter of Jesus. Lord, fill this place, Holy Spirit. Fill this place with hunger and thirst for your word and your spirit, Jesus. And God, I pray for the strategies of heaven to help us to disciple one another and grow in our faith, Lord, so that we become those elite soldiers of Christ. <laughs> elite soldiers of Christ who can stand against the onslaught of the world and take others, Lord, save others in the process, Lord.